Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 92. So here we are on August 31st, and I know this sounds like some just a trite thing to say. Um, I'm going to say it anyway. I cannot believe that tomorrow is September 1st, and, um, and it's the end of the summer. I mean, this has been the summer that wasn't. Uh, for obvious reasons, um, when we listen back to this episode, if you if you do in the future, um, you'll remember this summer. Um, I think in a very different way than other summers, uh, because of the pandemic and uh, also because of all the social justice issues that are being brought to the forefront in terms of just racial inequities and systemic racism and just all of the upheaval that is occurring in our country right now. And again, um, you know, I mean, this podcast is definitely not about politics or social justice, but, you know, those issues affect all of us. And I, I know that, you know, they affect all of us differently. Um, I just think that I would really be remiss in not acknowledging that, you know, this is a time of tremendous change. Um, and I, I know on a lot of different levels, it's affecting all, all of what's happening is affecting all of us differently. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, wherever you're at uh, in the world, because I know I have listeners all over the world, um, I hope that you are doing okay. I hope that you are staying connected to things that allow you to rest and rejuvenate um, on some level. And I think that that's really, really important right now. Um, because whatever you believe in, uh, I know that it can seem like we're you know, kind of in a constant struggle lately. Um, and even if we just kind of silo what's happening uh, in the world and look at it just from the perspective of the pandemic, uh, that has brought a lot of issues about health and wellness to the forefront. And that is absolutely a topic that this podcast is uh, built to address. Um, even though uh, the niche uh, topic here is yoga and even even drilling down further yoga anatomy, um, when you kind of go up the ladder on that, the broad topic is health and wellness. And um, so, you know, that has become an even more important issue uh, 
for, for everyone is to really think about how are we living? What are we doing to stay well? What are we doing around preventative care? Um, on a personal level, and I actually wasn't gonna share this, but I will since it's come to my mind and it seems to fit in with the topic. Um, over the past month, I've reconnected with all my just regular checkups. You know how you have the regular checkups you do, the dentist, the eye doctor, the general physical. And uh, there were a couple things that my doctors found. And these are not you know, awful, bad, scary things, um, but they are things that need to be addressed. So um, I just encourage you, if you're out there and you're thinking about continuing to avoid going for your regular checkups, um, that I think now is the time that you should do that. Uh, did I feel great going to the doctor, wearing the mask, being in a waiting room? No. Um, did I take extreme precautions? Absolutely. Are all the physicians' offices that I went to, whether it was my dermatologist or my dentist or my uh, you know, general practitioner, you know, all of them have different procedures uh, in acknowledgement of COVID. So that's just, you know, preventative health is one of the things that we can really do to get ahead of problems that are happening. And I think right now people are probably scared to go to their regular general checkup appointments uh, because they don't want to potentially be exposed to the virus. Um, but again, just keep in mind, you take good precautions, it decreases your risk. And in many cases, what could potentially be found on a preventative level is always much better dealt with um, sooner rather than later. And so the longer you wait, um, if you do have something going on like, like I do, um, you're gonna wanna get ahead of it. So, uh, you know, again, for me personally, I'm highly optimistic. These are not things that are, you know, huge problems, um, but they are things I need to take care of. So I encourage you if you're putting off your general appointments to, um, to do the same. Uh, that I did get get back on the track there. Um, so let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about three tips to get grounded when you're teaching. And I want to talk about it, you know, in part from the perspective of newer teachers, uh, because I know, you know, my my memories of being a new teacher and and really more times than not getting really freaked out <laughs> are memories that I have. Um, and also in just my conversations with new teachers, uh, I seem to get a lot of emails from newer teachers with questions. And I love that because I love to be able to share um, a lot of the strategies that I have for new teachers. And I feel quite frankly, like that's something that's not really done. We're so focused on cramming knowledge into teachers' brains that we really, um, as senior teachers, miss opportunities to um, step back and, and give them useful strategies that they can use to help them with the common things that come up. Now, having said that, even if you're a more experienced teacher, I wouldn't be surprised if you also have experiences where you get you know, kind of freaked out teaching. And that's completely natural. And it's completely understandable. And I think, you know, what I'm going to share right now will uh, be helpful potentially for you as well. So um, the first thing that I want to say, and these, these things are not earth shattering. However, I do think it can be helpful to just speak to them and bring them to the forefront. 
So the first one has to do with when you're having that experience of teaching and you're starting to get, you know, kind of anxious and nervous, take a moment to tell your brain, feel your, feel my feet on the floor, make contact with the floor, root into my legs, root into the earth, anything that speaks to that sensation of really, really connecting to your contact with the floor. Now, whether you're teaching online or whether you're teaching in person, you're going to be standing up, right? Unless you're practicing with your students, which, you know, I know right now a lot of the guidelines that I have around teaching are somewhat backburnered because of the pandemic and because you're teaching online. I know from hearing from a lot of teachers, their online classes, they're, they're really approaching them from the perspective of practicing with students who are joining them online because the students are watching them for cues. So where I generally really encourage teachers to avoid practicing with their students, I think right now, if you're doing that, I think that's totally understandable. Um, this cue though, uh, to ground into your feet, ground into the earth when you're feeling anxious, really applies more to if you're teaching just walking around the room or if you're teaching online classes like most of the online classes I've taught, I have not practiced with class, with the class. And I have just stood in front of my laptop on the stand and I have talked to them and I have looked at them and I have, you know, stood up while I was guiding them through the practice. And so again, a little bit of a different scenario. The, the point being grounding into your feet really gives you an opportunity to, um, take a moment and feel your physical body. And that can be really helpful if you're starting to kind of get anxious, you're starting to have that sympathetic nervous system reaction, your breath is maybe getting more shallow, your words are getting, you know, maybe discombobulated a bit. Just take a pause, maybe one or two seconds, root into your legs and then continue. Um, another thing that you can do even related to the first tip is to put the students in a pose, right? You're already teaching the sequence, so you're gonna have them in a pose. And when they're in the pose, hold them a little bit longer and take three to five deep breaths. So this would be like, you could do belly breaths, you could do in through the nose, out through the mouth. You could, you know, the, the style of breathing is kind of less important here. It's just that you're taking a pause, an intentional pause, to kind of get your shit together, right? Now they're not gonna know that, but, um, but it's a technique that you're using. And again, it sounds really simple. Um, however, bringing these strategies up to the, to the forefront, I think can be helpful to allowing you to access them more easily. And then the third one is <clears throat> when you're starting to feel kind of anxious and nervous, be very deliberate in what you say and only use action cues, right? So even notice how my cadence just changed there. I did that intentionally. I did that deliberately. Be very deliberate in what you say and use action-based cues only. See there, I did it again. I have longer pauses on the front end and the tail end. I'm really speaking these words very clearly and deliberately. 
it doesn't sound, hopefully, doesn't sound authoritative or anything like that um, over the top or like I'm yelling. It's just much more deliberate. And what that does for you is it gives you a slight pause in between the words to stay focused. It slows things down, which is a really good thing to do when you're starting to feel anxious. And using action cues really relieves you of trying to pull from your knowledge base in a way that is more complex and takes more mental work for you than if you were to just stick with action cues. <clears throat> and if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, um, episodes about cueing, I'm you know, a big proponent of action cues being not only one of the four categories of cues that I refer to, um, but even more so action cues being a really um, powerful way to teach because you're telling, you're using words that are easy to understand, easy for people to implement. It doesn't take a lot of mental energy on their end to figure out what you want them to do. And it's very much focused on the student's point of view, helping them move through the practice with ease by giving them instructions that they can easily understand without any specialized knowledge in yoga, just, you know, knowledge of the language. So again, those three cues, connect to your feet, put students in a pose and take five deep breaths. And then the last one being be very deliberate in what you say and use one act and use action-based cues only. So I want to just make one little side note about cueing and the technique of cueing. On Thursday of last week, I just did the fifth of my free workshops in a whole series of workshops I've been offering for free um, over the summer. And in the fall, which essentially starts tomorrow, I'm going to shift a little bit between doing free workshops and um, webinars, which will be a little bit less of you watching the workshop and seeing all of me. It'll be a little bit more driven by or supported by a PowerPoint. And then I'm also going to be offering more in-depth workshops that will be paid workshops. So these will be just a, a nominal uh, um, investment from you in exchange for an even deeper dive into different topics by offering free uh, by offering an online workshop experience because let's face it you know we're still in the online world for the provision of yoga teaching and yoga training because of the pandemic so you know back in june i was thinking maybe by september i would be teaching in person but i don't think that's going to be happening so i've shifted my focus to one of starting in the fall offering you um, more in-depth workshop opportunities with me. And that will be, again, for a really small investment on your part. So in light of that, the reason I'm bringing this up is not only to give you a heads up on what's coming and what you can um, access with me, uh, but also to let you know that all those free workshops that I've done I've put the replays, the recordings of those workshops in the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. If you're not familiar with that, I launched that monthly membership program in May. 
and it's a month to month uh, membership, just like Netflix, where you pay $10.99 a month and in exchange you get access to live classes, recorded classes, specialty sequences, guided meditation, meditations, and personal growth exercises, which are journaling exercises, exercises covering different topics around personal growth. Now, in the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal, I also put the replays of these workshops because the practice portal is accessed not just by practitioners, but also by teachers, teachers who are looking for a repository of sequences, ideas for sequences. They want to learn about anatomy through the cues that are given. So I put all the recordings, all the replays of these workshops that I've done over the past month and a half in the portal, and I've made that module free access. So that means you can access Thursday's workshop I just did, which was all about cues, specifically anatomy-based cues. Plus, you can access all the other workshops I've done this summer. And to do that, all you do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see on the homepage the icon, the, the link, the picture of the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. And when you click on that, it's going to give you an option to join for $10.99 a month. So if you know right out of the gate, this is a great, this is a great opportunity for me to access practice and teaching uh, support. Join for $10.99 a month. If you're unsure and you want to check it out, there's a free preview option. And when you click that, you'll see that I've made the module with the workshops free access. But you'll also see all the other things you get if you join. So it's a great way to kind of pull the curtain back on the monthly membership, on the practice portal. And um, at a minimum, you'll be able to access all of those free workshops. And um, at a maximum, maybe you will decide to join. And I hope you do, because I think it's a wonderful resource. It's way more organized than going around through YouTube trying to figure out what you want to practice to. And because my focus is anatomy, it's going to give you a great um, kind of grounding in anatomy. And um, keep in mind, I link this portal to my signature program where I teach teachers anatomy. And that's called the Blueprint Learning Program. And for all the teachers that are in the Blueprint Learning Program, they get access to the practice portal for free. It's a bonus. It's a connected program that they get for free. So when you're in the portal and you're starting to kind of pick up on some of my cues on anatomy, if your brain is sparked and you're thinking, man, I'd really like to learn, you know, how is she coming up with these cues? What is the anatomy behind them? That's what the Blueprint Learning Program is all about. And when you enroll in that, you get um, free access to the portal. Right now, the Blueprint Learning Program is closed for enrollment. Um, you can get on the wait list on my website as well, and you'll see the link to join the wait list. So for today, what I wanted to cover is I wanted to cover some just kind of high level um, overall anatomy themes that we can apply to teaching. And I wrote about these um, a couple of years ago when I released my second book called Structure and Spirit. And while these are high level themes, they can help you learn some anatomy and um, give you ways to apply it to your teaching. Now, because these themes are more general in nature, the reason I wanted to talk about them is, is really that they are general in nature. So they can apply to more people 
and um, help your students on a more overall basis than some of these things we talk about in anatomy that are really kind of germane only to a particular group of students with a particular situation or maybe working with somebody privately. These things that I'm going to share with you today are really overall broad anatomical and biomechanical concepts that you can use in general when, when you're teaching classes. And as a teacher, they're also a really good place to start in applying anatomy to your teaching. As you also take, and I hope you are, taking the time to learn the details. These are more broad-based. You know, broad-based is, is uh, you know, something you can, I don't necessarily want to say start with, you know, on some level, you have to learn the details to be able to then step back and offer something on a broad-based level. Um, however, what I'm gonna share with you today, these are concepts that even as you're learning anatomy at a detail level, you can definitely consider yourself you know, in integrity to share these themes. It's not like you're sharing themes that you would only be in integrity sharing if you knew the underlying anatomy. And when I say an integrity, you know, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I, I think though what I want to bring up and the reason I'm saying that is so many of the teachers I speak with have this feeling of, um, I don't really know what I'm saying. I'm just repeating things. And that leads to a feeling of uh, just a real lack of confidence when they teach nervousness, when they teach fumbling for their words, trying to over cue, like saying all these different cues to try to cover their bases. And also it leads to teachers sometimes feeling like a fake, right? Like I'm just up here saying things and I don't really know what I'm saying. I've just kind of been told to say these things for this pose, these things for that pose, but I really don't get what's going on under the skin. And so when we have that disconnect between how we're presenting ourselves and what we know in our heart, that's where there is a gap in our integrity. And it's not in this case, I'm not implying that we're knowingly doing this, that teachers are knowingly sharing cues that they really can't explain. It's an unfortunate byproduct, I think, of oftentimes how teachers are trained. They're taught the anatomy in one bucket and they're taught the cues in another bucket. And sometimes those connections are just not made in the presentation of the anatomy. And so teachers kind of unknowingly start teaching and it's only, you know, after a little bit where they're starting to feel like they're not super confident and they're starting to just kind of like wonder, why is, you know, why am I saying squeeze the glutes come into bridge? Like, what is it about the glutes that's doing something in bridge, you know, that I would need to be saying that, right? And this kind of curiosity is a great window into teachers realizing that they need to take right action for themselves and um, really start to uncover what those anatomy lessons are. And that's oftentimes where teachers in their journeys make a really hard pivot from just continuing where they're at and deciding for themselves, I am going to learn anatomy. I no longer wanna teach the way I'm teaching now. I'm making the choice to really find the right resource to dive into, to understand the anatomy and how to share it in the cues. And that can be a really powerful moment in your teaching when you're kind of willing to step outside kind of the same old, same old that everybody's doing, the same old, same old training path 
that you know has been laid out for teachers, which is 100% hours based and really not specific to what a particular teacher needs to learn in order to grow as a teacher. So that's a little bit about kind of the the why behind I'm talking why behind what I'm talking about today. So there are going to be four concepts that we're going to go over, and the first one is wider is steadier, narrower is not. Okay, so wider is steadier, narrower is not. And I want you to think about this in the context of, let's say that you are standing up in mountain pose and you have taken mountain pose in the traditional way, which is with your feet together. And then if you can do this while I'm talking, that would be ideal. Now I want you to imagine or shift, if you're doing the posture right now, your feet to hip width distance. And I want you to be able to notice, or I want you to shift between feet together, feet hip width, feet together, feet hip width, and then connect to how that feels. What are the differences that you feel in your body when you make that one simple shift? And what I would say um, or suggest to you is that hip width is always going to be steadier for people. I mean, I can probably unequivocally say that. And when you think about it anatomically, if you were to right now envision a skeleton and envision the skeleton with the feet together, you'd probably pretty quickly realize that the feet, the base is narrower than the midsection, right? So the pelvis is gonna be wider than the base with the feet together. However, if I step my feet to hip width distance apart, now my heels are aligned with my knees, my knees are aligned with my hips, and essentially my hips are part of my pelvis. So everything is aligned. And from a biomechanical standpoint, that alignment, that line, that line connecting hip to knee to ankle creates stability. So in, Tadasana in mountain pose, that's one way to offer it to your students as a way to help them also feel the difference and to feel the connection to stability when they take the, their feet into hip width apart in mountain. Now to apply this in other ways, you know, cause this is what we really want to do. We want to take that aha moment and we want to offer it to them in different parts of the practice. So one place that you could offer it is in warrior one, which is a posture that's traditionally taught with the heels aligned, with the front heel and the back heel aligned. I believe that's an Iyengar cue, um, and it might just be a cue, again, that you just learned in your training without any real explanation around the biomechanics and the anatomy, uh, anatomical implications for teaching it that way. So if we just look at um, uh, warrior one with the feet aligned, the heels aligned as if you're, you know, kind of standing on a, a tightrope or a balance beam, you can imagine here that, and maybe even recall in your own experience, that it's quite difficult. And if you were a student who was new, who had balance challenges, who, you know, had any other kind of situation in their body, maybe they just have limited range of motion in their hips, that's going to be really hard for them to do. 
So this idea of wider is steadier is going to help them. And so what you would do in this warrior one, rather than have them step their right foot forward and align their right heel with their back heel is you might start them there and then have them step their right foot slightly out to the right. So this idea of wider is steadier, narrower is not, is really the first theme that I wanna offer you. So in the warrior one example, you can see how that could help your students um, create more stability. Uh, in chair pose where the feet are together, that would be another example where you could take the student's feet to hip width distance apart to create greater stability. In some pot, in crescent lunge, that's another posture where width is going to create more steadiness, narrow feet, narrow alignment at the ground is going to make it much harder. Um, there are some postures where it doesn't work, postures like side angle, postures like triangle, postures like twisting, uh, I'm sorry, side angle and triangle, it would be more challenging for people to have the width because part of the alignment of triangle and side angle is the torso, the upper body over the front leg that the torso is leaning towards. So in those two poses, you would wanna keep the narrowness. However, in twisting triangle where you're gonna rotate, it's very helpful to offer people wider, wider base, wider is steadier, because now you're adding the additional complexity of asking them to create rotation through their spine, rotation through their core, uh, external rotation through their shoulders, and on a very narrow base, that can be really challenging, especially if they have limited range of motion in uh, any of the rotational muscles of the spine, or the rotational muscles of the core. Um, let's say another limiting factor might be something in the lower back, the erector spinae. So there's a lot in twisting triangle in particular that could make it challenging for people to create the rotation. And so if you can give them a wider base, it's going to allow them to stay steady from the, from the hips down and then have the mental and physical space to be able to focus on, on the rotation through the, um, through the upper body. So that's, that's the first theme, wider is steadier, narrower is not. Now, the next theme that I wanna talk about is this idea of create foundation before you create rotation. And I spoke to this a little bit in this twisting triangle example a few moments ago. So creating rotation, when we think about rotation, if you were to just stand in an anatomical position uh, with your feet hip width apart and just rotate your body, almost like a washing machine, uh, you know, the thing in the washing machine that rotates side to side, whatever that's called. If you had your feet at hip width and you were just rotating your torso in that way, it would be much easier than if you had your feet together. And so that's, again, a really simple example. If we regress these themes to a basic posture like Tadasana or anatomical position, we can see these themes in action. And then if we progress them into postures, we can see how they can help in postures. And that's an exercise science theme. The idea of regression and progression in exercise is the uh, concept around taking an exercise and regressing it so it's more accessible 
or progressing it so it's more challenging. And so if we apply that to twisting postures, we can regress this concept of create foundation before you create rotation by just having somebody stand up with their feet together, twist, 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 like the washing machine uh, rotational device, uh, and then take their feet hip width, twist, 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 and see which one feels steadier. I would um, hold out to you that the feet at hip width is gonna be much steadier for the student. And so if we carry forth with this theory, um, this hypothesis into um, poses, and we start to look at things where there's rotations, we can really see how this can help. So let's take a posture like twisting crescent lunge. We already said wider is steadier, narrower is not. So we're gonna take this posture and teach this posture in a way where students have their feet wider and less narrow. So hip width would be a good general rule of thumb to offer. So once we have them in crescent lunge, now we're gonna have them bring their hands to their heart, lean forward and twist to the right over the right thigh. Now we're gonna have them drop their left hand to a block and reach their right hand to the sky and rotate and twist through the middle of the body. So I'm already giving you the action cues. And what this wider base uh, and this foundation uh, of the left hand on the block is going to do is it's going to steady the lower part of the pose, meaning the left hand on the block and the hip with feet, so that the student can now focus on the rotation. Because keep in mind, if the student isn't steady uh, at the ground, so if there is no creation of foundation before rotation, not only will the posture be out of alignment, but the body, the student, will just kind of take the rotation in whatever way is available to them. And in most cases, what's mostly gonna be available to them is cervical rotation less thoracic for sure, less lumbar. So what you're gonna see is a student with a really narrow foundation and you're gonna see them turning their head really rapidly with very little rotation through the rest of the spine. This is additionally gonna be compromised if the student has the lower hand on the outside of the front foot. Now I know this is like Again, this is a progression. This is a, what we would call in, in the yoga industry, not a progression, which is more an exercise science term. We would call it a advanced variation. So if you're coming into twisting crescent lunge and you teach your students to have the lower hand on the outside of the front foot, that's going to create a higher level of difficulty because it's asking for less stability at the ground and therefore more challenge in the rotational movement because there's less stability. It's just gonna be much harder for them to rotate through the, through the spine if their bottom hand is in a position where it's less steady. And when you have that lower hand on the outside, not the inside, now you're beginning to leverage that lower shoulder for foundation because the front knee is crammed into the lower shoulder and now you're starting to leverage something that shouldn't be leveraged for foundation, namely a joint. You should not be leveraging your joints in this particular alignment for, rotate, for foundation prior to rotating. 
So this is why I really don't teach the lower hand. Matter of fact, I, I never teach lower hand to outside of foot. I always teach lower hand to inside. Because in my mind, the main point of the pose is to get people to rotate through their spine. It's not really to get their lower shoulder on the outside of their front knee. I don't really know what the point of that is. So this is where we can and where I start to apply what I know about anatomy to traditional yoga presentation of poses. And I make shifts with a solid rationale for why I'm making that shift. This is again, a very different thing than just simply saying do something without having a reason why. And it's a completely more empowering position to say something and have a rationale than say something and not have a rationale. And so I want to offer you that as a potential shift for you and your teaching so that you can feel more empowered when you teach. You're teaching from what you know. And therefore, if anybody asks you a question about, hey, why did you have us put the block on the inside? Because I'm going to a bunch of classes and they have me put the block on the outside or they don't even have me use a block. Why are you having us do that? You can then speak to it. You can speak to it from your knowledge. You can speak to it in an authentic way. Those are great opportunities for you to begin to feel the connection with the student, the connection with what you know, the feeling of being of service, the feeling of being an educator, the feeling of being a teacher, all in really positive ways. So this particular theme, this create foundation before you create rotation, we can apply this to any twisting posture, whether it's a seated twisting pose or twisting triangle or twisting um, chair, just keeping your eye on the foundation rather than right out of the gate, trying to get them into the rotational part, get them steady at the ground and then proceed from there. So that's the second one, create. Uh, the first one was wider is steadier, narrower is not. The second theme is create foundation before you create rotation. So the third theme is don't be a blockhead, use a block. Now I grew up <laughs> with a lot of reference to Charlie Brown and my family. And I don't know if you remember Lucy in uh, Charlie Brown, she used to call him a blockhead or maybe it was her brother Linus. Anyway, that blockhead phrase comes from peanuts. And, um, you know, here, what I'm basically saying is use a block, not only as a student, but here I'm really speaking to the teachers because this is, you know, really, you know, focused on teaching. Um, encourage your students to use a block. And I don't even really mean encourage. What I really mean is just include the use of the block in the cues you give. So if you remember the example I just shared of twisting crescent lunge, if I was teaching it from downward facing dog and doing the right side first, I would say, step your right foot forward, reach your arms up to the sky. If you feel you have a narrow base, widen your base a bit, find some steadiness. Bring your hands together at your heart, lean forward and drop your left hand down to a block on the inside of your foot and reach your right hand to the sky. Root into the block, root into your feet and begin to rotate your chest to the right. Stretch your arms out really wide. Spread your fingers wide apart. Take a deep breath in, deep breath out, and then release to plank, blah, 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 blah. So you'll notice there, I, 
I just inserted the use of the block into the cues. Um, I didn't say if you want to use a block or you could use a block because guess what? The students are going to decide anyway what they want to do. So you don't have to couch all of the block usage in all of these disclaimers. If you have a, a, a practice that you're offering where you want them to use a block, just tell them to use it. And again, if they ask you after class, hey, how come none of these other classes I'm going to are suggesting blocks? Or even for your students that you're teaching online, if they say, I don't have a block. I mean, one of the first things I'm doing with my online students is I'm saying, hey, you guys need to have a block. You need to have a block even more so because we're not in the same room and I can't you know, really, really see you super clearly. So just make that having of the block uh, just part of, part of you know, your, your queuing. Um, the block is gonna create steadiness where there is little to none. It's going to create stability and height from the floor to allow for greater rotation. So when you think about um, twisting poses like twisting crescent lunge or twisting uh, chair, we're trying to externally rotate both shoulders. Because we're trying to externally rotate both shoulders, the external rotators are acting as the agonists, the internal rotators are acting as the antagonists. So therefore we're trying to lengthen the antagonists and strengthen the agonists. So in most people, those uh, internal rotators like subscapularis and teres major and uh, pectoralis major, pectoralis minor, they're going to be tight. And if they're really close to the floor, meaning no block, sometimes it's harder for them to get the requisite range of motion in the upper shoulder to get really open in the shoulders. So when you pop them up on a block with that lower hand, whether it's in twisting crescent or twisting triangle or twisted twisting chair, that height away from the floor will give them a better opportunity to get that external rotation uh, in place. So all of, all of this, you know, kind of use of the block, don't be a blockhead, use a block, is just, you know, part of, part of how you can support your students with, with better foundation and creating better foundation. And then the last one is um, using a block um, and we'll kind of, let's, let's kind of consider this third one. It's going to integrate use of the block, but it's really its own concept. And the concept is provide support for the head to avoid hunching and forward folds. So the most obvious one here that I'm referring to is half pigeon. When you have people come into half pigeon and you see their head just hanging in space over the floor as if they were looking at their phone using in this case a block or if they have the ability to bring themselves closer to the floor so they can just rest their head on their hands or rest their head on the mat in in any of those cases block hands or mat their head is supported so when their head is supported it means the muscles in their neck that are responsible for neck extension are not trying to work to lift the head and the muscles of neck flexion are able to relax because the head is supported. They're not having to contract so much to hold the head in space. So in postures like half pigeon, just kind of eyeball people, if their head is hanging, suggest they put a block under the head. Again, when you're teaching online, just 
add the cue to use the block into the teaching because you're really not going to be able to see them all that well in those little tiles that you see on the Zoom calls. So just tell them, you know, use the block. Um, there are other forward folds that are more in the restorative um, category. So things like a seated forward fold, Paschimottanasana, where you might hold people a little longer. You can have them stack a couple blocks up and support their head. You know, just looking for areas where people have their head just hanging in space. You know, this very much is a problem right now in, you know, in all of us because we're looking down at our phone so much. You know, these days, I mean, and even not just these days, I've always been very aware of it. Um, I think, you know, when I just walk around Boston and I see people walking down the street with their head hanging so low, or you see people sitting on the train and their head is just hanging so low with their phone, like they're holding their phone like a platter on their, on their hand and how much stress that is on the muscles of the neck, knowing, you know, because the impact of gravity on their head is increased as their head, as their chin drops. So if you're standing up, your head is in line with your shoulders, your, you know, your chin is in line with your sternum. But as you start to drop your head, your head is now impacted by the force of gravity. And so again, the impact on the muscles of neck extension and neck flexion is increased the further you hunch, further, the deeper into the hunch you go. So, you know, this, this holds for any of these poses I'm talking about where people are close to the floor, they could support their head. It's also something you could look at in side bending poses like triangle and side angle, not so much because the head is in flexion, but more because the head is in lateral flexion. So think about your students in triangle where their head is just dumping down and you might cue them to lift the head slightly. That's another example, just a different plane. Now we're moving in the frontal plane, we're not moving in the sagittal plane because it's lateral, lateral flexion versus flexion and extension. So the four categories, wider are the four themes, wider is steadier, narrower is not, create foundation before you create rotation, don't be a blockhead, use a block, provide support for the head to prevent hunching and forward folds. And all of these concepts are covered in detail in my book, Structure and Spirit, which you can get on Amazon or on my website. So we've reached the end of the podcast today. And I want to um, just thank you for listening uh, to the podcast, for being here. I want to give a shout out. I didn't catch the person's name, but I got a recent review on iTunes and the teacher wrote that she's just, you know, overwhelmed with joy or well, I can't remember the exact words. She said something about, you know, how much information there is here in the podcast and she's going through and she's taking notes. I love that. I'd love to know what you think about the podcast. I'd love for you to share it with other teachers that you know, who might be looking for an audio uh, uh, training guide. So feel free to share it with your friends. Feel free to you know, take a picture of your phone when you're listening to the podcast and tag me in an Instagram post and let me know you're listening. I would love, love to connect with you there. I'm also back on Instagram doing Instagram lives, which I think they've refined how they offer that platform. And so I'm back doing IG lives, which I definitely love doing them, but I just didn't love the technical aspect before. 
So now you can get little snippets of training on anatomy on my Instagram. So you can follow me there, bare bones yoga, and anything you have questions on that you watch, just DM me. You don't have to, you know, break out of IG and go to your email or email me on IG. Just DM me with any questions. I'd love to have some back and forth. And then keep in mind, like I said earlier, all of the workshops, all of the free workshops I've done in the past month and a half are all available to you. You can access the replays. If you sign up for the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal, you can sign up in full for $10.99 a month or you can sign up for the free preview and access just the free workshop section to watch those workshops. So thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to hear what you think about the podcast. I hope you'll send me a note or post something. Let me know what you're thinking, how you like the episodes, any questions you have, any feedback you have. And I'm looking forward to talking to you on the next episode. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.